Hello and welcome back to Let Me Tell You Something About, uh, the podcast that is poorly researched and done without any prior consultation. <laughs> <laughs> That's so accurate, it's sad. <laughs> I feel like I have to come up with a new tagline now every time I say it. Yeah, pro- yeah probably. <laughs> Introduce it. Probably. But yeah, this is a, uh, a, a, I guess, clip, a... I, I feel like we need like a good like one one sentence uh pitch of this but i haven't come up with it yet it's the but podcast it's, of this generation yeah it's a 30 minute show <laughs> where are we trying to hit around 30, 30 minutes, minutes where <laughs> we tell you something i mean where we tell each other something about uh something that interests us that we've we've been researching and each of our segments there's two of them because we each bring a topic starts off with a soundbite that one of us plays for the other person and they get a brief guess that is typically never correct, and then they explain what their topic is. Bingo. Uh, really quick professional thing. I'm going to shut my door. I probably will actually edit this second out. One second. See, I say I'm going to edit that out, but who knows if I actually will or will not. <laughs> um, I don't know. We'll see. Um yeah, so this is episode three. Uh, as a reminder, I am George, and this is Hunter, who's with me. Oh, yes, um, I forgot introductions. <laughs> uh, we have a new segment on the show that we're going to start the show with. We have our fan mail segment. Isn't this oh, great? Oh, gosh. All of our what? thousands so, of fans. The letters have been piling up, let me tell you. I tell you, I tell you. We have yeah. a whole one uh, fan mail. Um, this is from an anonymous fan. Um <laughs> Uh, writing in about the grass segment from last week and this fan says that most cities do not allow you to let your lawn uh, go quote unquote uh, and uh, that they've uh, seen many instances where people have lawns that are taller than 10 inches love the podcast wow wow look at that look at that positive support we have look at that excited fan and and just (laughs) just just to, to let anyone else any other fans listening you can reach any of us with your fan mail by contacting us at our appropriate addresses and phone numbers, which if you have it, you can send it. We're not quite comfortable giving out stuff like that. Yeah, yet. If you don't have it, uh, I don't know, start mailing stuff to random PO boxes and see what happens. Yeah. It might Give a friend us. of a friend, maybe carrier pigeon oh, carrier <laughs> runner. Pigeon. Uh, who knows? Maybe one day we'll set up a, uh, uh, a business email, but we won't. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah so that that was our fan mail so if you have any uh anything yeah. that you like read we'll do well maybe we'll do one a week if we have even one a week so that's it's a milestone goal that will have a actual box set up exactly that yeah i like that it's a goal that'll never come to fruition. um i don't so know with yeah. that should we jump into uh segment one for this week and i believe hunter i started last time so i believe you're on position one this time Yes, I think that's correct. And okay. if you want to listen to my audio bite that I've sent, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'll play it right now. Sounds like some boots. I think there's a very telling part of this audio bite okay. if you listen long enough. Okay, I kind of got some Doppler effect on that one at the end. 
maybe it's a train, a very mucky sounding train leaving a station, but I don't think that's it. You know, it, it reminds me of the old computer game uh, Kingdoms and Merchants. It sounds okay. like the old awful sound bites that they used uh, for the uh, the guy who made wine, the Vinter, in the game. It sounds like <laughs> somebody's stepping on grapes to make you know the the mush for wine. Well, that's like that actually isn't that far off. It All it right. is something being compressed to obtain a liquid. Ret- a liquid ingredient, I guess. Okay. Would be the best of putting it. That is actually the sound of a cow being milked. Or, yeah, a cow. Oh, ew. No, oh, it's gross. <laughs> now that I've listened to that, I didn't want to hear that noise in my life. It's disgusting. I, I, like, I like how you first attributed it to being a train. That was a very... <laughs> <laughs> it kind of sounded like it, honestly. But I, I did hear the, the, like, it sounded like a goat or something, but I guess maybe that's a cow. Yeah, no, it's it's. I, I thought there was a moo at one point that I definitely heard when I was listening to oh, it. Sure. So it could have been a I, cattle I, car on the train. Who knows? Yeah, well, I guess it. I guess it wasn't clear enough. <laughs> <laughs> so we're talking about cows or milk. Yeah. Are we talking about milk or just cows or? So yeah, let me tell you something about milk, George, because I feel like we should use that. Oh man, it's oh, the yeah. title of the podcast. <laughs> Copyright, trademark, we got them all. So, yeah, I picked, I, I kind of went through a sort of a number of loopholes picking my subject for this episode, but I settled on actually not, not, not milk necessarily, but the things that milk are derived from that are still considered basically, I don't know, it's kind of a confusing thing I'm tra- talking about today. So it's, it's not quite like oat milk, almond milk, that kind of stuff. No, it's not quite dairy products and it's not quite just milk. It's like the things that milk is turned into that aren't, you know, cheese, butter, like kind of the, the, the very like processed forms of milk. Okay, are these so, some consumable products? Yeah, yeah, typically. So today we're basically talking about the different forms of milk, which would probably be the, the best way to describe <laughs> what this is. The, the many uses of milk? Yeah, the many uses of <laughs> Fantastic, fantastic milks and where to find them. <laughs> All right. Uh, I'm actually kind of curious because I didn't know that there were uses other than cheese and butter. Yeah, so I think the first one I'm going to talk about that I'm going to kick off is condensed milk. And I think a lot of us have heard of that before. I've seen that in the baking aisle. I've never used it. Yeah, so I've, I have I've, I've, I've too seen the baking aisle. I actually used it uh, a couple years ago to try to make uh, chai tea. Or sorry, th- Thai tea. Which it's traditionally used in to make it, oh. to, to be made. Yeah, and the, which is kind of weird because it, it's found its way, researching it, it's found its way into a lot of traditional recipes, despite its origins being roughly around, like, the start of the 1800s for most of these products. Although some of them, like powdered milk, actually have their origins far earlier, but in a, you know, sort of a more primeval form. Okay. But... Yeah, but like like so, condensed milk in particular has found its way into a lot of tea tea drinks, uh, you know, baking drinks, all sorts of different things. And like like I said, some of those are some ways seen as traditional, even though condensed milk has only been around for about two hundred years. So, yeah, so condensed milk is one of those things that was it was created by one of the you know, I don't even know how to how to describe them. You know, like the very stereotypical 
self-made men of the you know kind of 1800s to mid 1900s like the robber barons of industry the titans of industry yeah exactly yeah and like like all good people in there they were actually like a terrible person but they have a very interesting life when you read through it so condensed milk was created by a man named gail borden so he he had his starts in new york and then he found himself in texas and he actually like was one in Texas. He, he woke up one day and he was in And he Texas. was in, yeah, just in Texas. <laughs> no, no, but he actually was, before he did any of the condensed milk stuff, he actually was a, a pretty iconic figure in the Texian Revolution, which was the Texas-Mexican War, the Alamo, all that stuff. Sure, so he was yeah. actually, a, he was a key figure in that he was one of the, the newspapers that basically told the story of the conflict. Oh, interesting. Uh, from Texas so, or from New York still? Uh, he actually, he was in, te- he moved to Texas. Oh, so he, he, he had an entire arc of his life where he lived in Texas and did this. In and, the Texas and, Republic, actually, not even Yeah, the exactly. Yeah, so it, he, he has a very fascinating life. And I recommend that if you're interested in a, in a individuals to read about, oh, no, he did, is one. Was he a Confederate then? Uh, no, thankfully. Because he actually, after the war, he left Texas and returned to the East Coast. And there oh, is where he started to invent things. Like, all good men during those times. Yes. And so one of these things he invented, I just have to mention this one, he called it a terra, terra aqueous machine. It was a sail-powered wagon designed to travel land over sea, land and sea. <laughs> but it was designed for the prairies. <laughs> and it was abandoned after a test run resulted in ejecting its riders into the Gulf of Mexico. <laughs> well, of, <laughs> like, of course, like, the wheels... Oh, man, of course it's going to eject passengers. There's no stability at that time in a vehicle like that. Yeah, so he he, oh. he realized that, that automobiles were not for him, and he moved on to first meat biscuits, which I, I know, George, that you know about pemmican, which I is do. a pretty popular frontier food. So he basically tried to mass-produce pemmican on, like, oh, an industrial scale. Not a bad idea. Yeah, not not a terrible idea. I mean, we have, like, you know, stuff like jerky, which was around then. But, you know, it's it's not a bad idea to try and get into that. But it just didn't work out. It didn't taste very good. It worked on a... He sort of won, like, early competitions and stuff. But as it as he started to try and actually commercialize it, it sort of fell apart. Because if my knowledge and, is right, pemmican doesn't... It's not great. Like it's, yeah, 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 yeah. It's not... Yeah, it, like, it doesn't... It didn't taste very good. Um, it, The texture wasn't great. It, it, like, it, it, one of the things the U.S. Army said is that it actually just made the people ill that ate it, so. Oh, yeah. It, it might have not even just been, I mean, like, for those listening good. who don't know, pemmican is basically if you take essentially beef jerky and different berries and other, you know, available natural things and make it into kind of a proto-granola bar, minus yeah. the granola, that's what pemmican is. It's like a granola bar with meat. Yeah. It's kind of a good way to put it's it, It's high yeah. in protein, uh, mm-hmm. so if you need energy on the go pemmican was like the way to go for frontiersmen but yeah if you actually want a more like non-controversial thing to research i would research the history of pemmican if you were a viewer that's interested in something because pemmican actually has a fascinating history and you Um, can also learn about constipation in early american frontiersmen (laughs) so there you go (laughs) anyway so this guy basically while he was pitching his meat his meat biscuits he found he found a um, by the way the branding for that's pretty terrible. I didn't I didn't really find it literally said is known as the meat biscuit. So this guy was not a, a marketing <laughs> the king expert. of meat biscuits. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so while he was pitching that, he found out about um, uh, condensing. 
And he actually figured it out in vacuums being used by the shakers to condense fruit and herbs into, you know, like condensed tonics or, you know, consumable things, sure, probably sure. for medicinal purposes as well. And so he, he took that idea. He actually filed for bankruptcy while he was developing this because his meat biscuits failed so hard. And then he had the several iterations where he tried to get condensed milk going. And what finally made it take off was the Civil War. And that was because there was such a demand for a, you know, milk on the front yeah. lines. And oh. condensing milk is a way to preserve it. And so it, if it's got to be, it's easier to ship, isn't it? Because there's no water weight. Exactly. Um, yeah. Oh, it, wow. it, it, it is reduced in volume as well. So basically it, he, you know, the rest is history. It, he, he, he managed to get his start in the war and then it just took off. Um, but like if we dial it back, so condensed milk is actually, it's two things. It, it actually is evaporated milk. It's so if you, if you see evaporated milk and condensed milk, they are roughly the same. The difference is, is condensed milk actually has sugar in it that that which th th now this is sort of a, a mind bender the sugar is added to actually prevent it from spoiling well which okay, is to me that that's like reverse thinking on my part because you would think that bacteria would you know like the sugar or whatever yeah so it's it's it, it that's what you would actually think but the sugar that it, it's that like that they add to it it increases the osmotic pressure Oh, of course. Which is the basically, pressure, which is, <laughs> it's basically the minimum pressure that needs to be applied to prevent the inward flow of, uh, of a, um, oh, so sure. it basically stops the flow of the actual, cause like, that, that reminds substance. me of like, like winemaking. So I was not entirely wrong mm -hmm. because it's making just enough, um, you know, gas within the, the can of yeah. the container to prevent anything from coming in. Exactly. So it like sort of freezes it in time, and so it stops stops oh, there from being like so is, much movement. So I, you know, what? I'm gonna say I was right when I guessed that this was about winemaking. I was pretty <laughs> much on the money. Yeah, right, right on the money. So yeah, oh, so that, so that's smart. that's condensed milk. So it's, it's it's got these two parts. Now evaporated milk, if we go to it, is slightly different in that it's it doesn't have any sugar. It's just complete evaporation. So obviously this had to have been done somewhat later because the you know, it was, they basically took the process for condensed milk and then stepped it up a notch. Okay. And so what, what is, and so the, and the process for that was done by an individual named John Augustus Just, who is a chemist who led a very, like, I don't know, very generic life for someone, you know, usually when you think of these inventions, it's someone that had sort of was like the yeah, last they, guy. They like know? do all like the crazy stuff ever. Yeah. Yeah. But this guy was basically just a chemist. He, he, he grew up in Germany. He left before the wars. Uh, he, you know, to the U S he lived in the U S he, he lived, worked as a chemist, made a ton of money, by the way, working as a chemist at this time and slowly developed the process for making uh, evaporated milk. And so it, he basically he 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 used this process called a um, sorry I've written down here for a second. Um, at what time is he like making? This? Yeah, well, so so I guess yeah maybe some dates would be helpful here too. So condensed milk, um, was in the eighteen fifties. Okay. Evaporated milk when it was when this guy basically in you know invented the method to do it sure was in the 
I'm gonna guess uh, like 1910s. That's my yeah. guess. But I'm I'm not. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So like yeah, like 19 early 1900s basically. Oh, he's right. Yeah. Money. So basically, that. he figured out a way to to treat the milk with um, calcium chloride to reduce its acidity, and then used uh, other chemical. Basically, he used ke- he used chemicals to modify it, and then steam reduced it into a condensed form or sorry into an into an evaporated form i mean they're essentially the same thing right and evaporated but, milk. but he was able to treat it first and then do it whereas uh our, our man borden's method was just about you know making that rigid with that sugar and then evaporating it so so it's 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 they're kind of similar they play off one another but they you know they, they form at different times which What's interesting is that, like, something like condensed milk is actually more primitive, you know, quote-unquote, of a method than evaporated milk. But because it had such a longevity, it's maintained itself as, you know, a baking product, as a traditional yeah. cooking product, even though it's not as, like, good of a product. Well, and that kind of so, blows yeah. my mind, because I always envision these things as, like, inventions of the 50s. Like, that's what it, you know, mm-hmm. I've always, I, I've never looked into these before. It just seems like newer things that, like, you know, like... Betty Crocker would have invented this or something to make yeah. it cheaper, but that's not the case. Like it literally means like yeah, out in the you know the prairies and like in the West, you know there were people with condensed milk, <laughs> it, it, <laughs> which is kind it, of an odd thing to yeah, think. Yeah, it like makes me wonder like what did that stuff like in in the eighteen fifties? What did condensed milk taste like? Like was it disgusting or was it pretty close? I don't, I don't, I don't. Yeah, I would speculate that it might be more sugary because they might be able to peel down the sugar content now because they i imagine that they don't need to add the sugar now right that's not there for a utilitarian purpose anymore yeah oh and one quick thing too that uh our man borden did going back to him is he actually was one of the pioneers of uh health and sanitation within the dairy industry he had specific standards that he put out called the dairy man's 10 commandments that basically were guidelines that farmers had to follow if they were to give them his their milk for him to condense. Oh, see, that's so like asynchronous. Because you think like Titan of Industry kind of folks would always be lowering standards, but I yeah. guess he wanted his product to, or I guess he probably required it for the chemistry involved, mm-hmm. that he needed a higher standard of milk or whatever. Ex- yeah, exactly. So it's it, it's it, and it's interesting how those things will like you know. Re, like dairy industry reform was born out of the condensed milk which is you know the dairy industry is obviously a lot larger than just the condensed milk industry but it's interesting how those things can send ripples right across. that's really yeah. interesting so um speeding it up a little bit uh the next thing we're going to talk about is evaporated milk so um sorry we talked about evaporated milk i'm i'm mixed myself falling we're behind talk- where yeah, are your I know. notes hey today? there's so many there's so many milks today the network's to gonna about. cut us off if we have this <laughs> kind of organization oh my god so there's filled milk some of these some of these are, are have relatively little written about them i've and never just heard of that filled milk in my so life. filled milk is actually milk that has had oils and fats added from other sources that are non-dairy so, so like if, if you, you were added to... vegetable oil to milk, exactly. Coconut oil was a big one around when this this was this was done. And the only thing about filled milk that's somewhat more interesting is that it had a whole ride in the U.S. of it when it was when it was starting to get big, sort of around you know the same time period, the early 1900s. 
the whole dairy industry basically went against it and like lobbied against it, got it banned in several places. States were banning it. So why? Because, why? because it's it's a lot cheaper to fortify your milk with vegetable or coconut oil than to add, you know, than to fortify it with it through other means. So basically they were taking, you know, like normal milk and then putting vegetable or uh, coconut oil into it in order to make it into... I feel like that milk can't have tasted good. Well, it didn't, but it was perfect for baking and cooking because in in oh. those cases, it doesn't actually matter what the, what the milk is like. you're not going to taste the milk and you want the fat or whatever. Yeah. yeah. It's like how when you look at like baker's chocolate or like, I guess that's my bad, be a bad example, but a lot of like restaurant quality or like baker's versions of things typically aren't the best. Right. Because it's going to get mixed in and cooked and all that. So it doesn't Exactly. So you could undercut the like fancy milk market with your fortified filled milk <laughs> oh my so God. yeah i've never even heard of filled milk so yeah well you're gonna maybe hear of some other things i've heard of so there's powdered milk which you probably have heard I've, of i've heard of that one yeah so powdered milk is interesting in that it was actually invented by the russians Ooh. which is sort of a because you know there's all this stuff coming out of the u.s and like somewhat london for that last stuff but then the russians actually came up with powdered milk and in a really interesting way sort of kind of like pemmican where the it was invented by a man called Ospip Osip. I'm gonna butcher this. Sorry for all our German fans. Osip Krikveski. So he was the original inventor, and he worked as a doctor in some silver mines out in Russia. Okay. And he noted that some of the local people, the native people who worked in the plant, they were drying their milk in the same way as um, some mongolians that he had read about in previous texts which is where they freeze the milk on plates and then they dry it in the sun and it evaporates the water part out oh because the water warms up before the milk so the water evaporates first yeah and i imagine that in the i didn't read too much in the chemistry because you know we're keeping this short i imagine there's also uh you know a lot of usually when you like freeze something it can really you know mess up the the uh crystal formation or right, not the crystal right. formation but like you know the actual structure of the yeah, yeah the colloid i guess in this case so yeah he he actually he saw that realized what they were doing and then started to do it on a larger level realized its implementation in naval voyages oh, uh, you sure. know all sorts of things yeah exactly so he started to you know he took the idea and ran with it and when, you when know, was that do you know when the powdered milk was invented yeah so that was in the the as early as 1792 was the Mongol was the guy that you know he had okay, he had okay. studied the Mongolian you know tribe that he was looking at uh, the, the stuff that was, that was that early it was mid 1850s that it started to take off so this was actually okay. and this actually shows the leg behind because I bet that powdered milk didn't make it until the Western world for quite a bit longer it doesn't actually it doesn't really say when right, it started right. getting big there but I would bet that there was a leg. Um, a couple others, baked milk. So baked milk actually sounds really tasty. It's it's milk that's simmered for eight hours, and it's purported to have a, like, caramely, toasty taste Ooh. to it. And it, it also condenses, it self-condenses, because, you know, you're you're sort of boiling it sure. slightly for that you're long. simmering the, the water off, yeah. Yeah, so it sort of forms this, like, thick, like, uh, caramelized milk Ooh. that you can drink. And it's yeah, it's it's pretty it's pretty common in a lot of uh, Ukrainian, Russian, Slavic communities. They also do it with fermented milks, 
as like they basically take sort of a yogurt and do the same thing with it. Ooh, yummy! And yeah, so like, and and it says it's done by a lot of peasant communities, which leads me to believe that might have been a good way to like, you know, if you have the last of your milk and it's kind of going bad, you could just you yeah, know, if maybe... you cook it, it might get rid of some of the bad stuff and yeah, last a little bit longer possibly. You could bake it. <laughs> <laughs> and then finally, there's scalded milk. That which sounds is... like it's heated really hot. Yeah, and that's literally all scalded milk is. It's just very hot milk. So is that and like the proto-pasteurization? Is that scalded milk? Exactly. So like some of this stuff is born out of pasteurization. So like that's part of the reason condensed milk had to have the sugar added was because back then there was no pasteurization. No, that you was can't done pasteurize. You can't really refrigerate. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So that, that, yeah, that's, so like scalded milk was done in a similar way to, you know, kill all the enzymes but it would destroy the proteins, destroy the enzymes. So, you know, it, it, it wasn't necessarily ideal as far as I'm sure as you lost, like, nutritional value of the milk. By oh, doing for that. sure, yeah. It denatures the proteins and right. stuff like that. And the last thing I'll add is what a kind of a cool thing that kind of came out of scalded milk is something called a milk watcher. And so what a milk watcher is, <laughs> is it's, it's actually, you put it at the bottom of your pot. I thought it was going to be, like, some poor dude's job to like watch I, see milk. that's what i thought it would be oh too. that would have been way funnier <laughs> but no it's yeah it's actually just a very clever it's a very clever device it's just a simple piece of glass or porcelain and it's it's designed in such a way that you, when you put it at the bottom of the pot it's the it it manipulates the bubbles that are being formed by the boiling water to basically break the upper shell that's because because th that's why, why like pastas milks um things that aren't water boil over is because they form an upper crust oh. so the basically a milk watcher is designed to divert bubbles in a way that it breaks the upper crust and stops it from boiling you know over. boiling over oh, it all it all so yeah it also rattles too so it's like it does a two-part because then you can like be like oh my milk watcher is so rattling then, so then the milk watcher can say my milk watcher is rattling and come yeah. over <laughs> Oh, exactly. oh my! That's my dream job now. I want to be a milk watcher and just watch scalded milk being prepared. <laughs> that's my dream job. You have high hopes, George. <laughs> but yeah, that's that's my presentation on the various forms of milk. I think so. maybe we'll call this segment like the multitude of milks or something. Oh like, yeah, that'd be good. Yeah. Multiverse the, of milks. Oh, I like yeah. <laughs> Milkyverse. Some, we'll milky, figure out. We'll figure uh, out. Yeah, something. I like the milky verse. Um, well, hopefully Thanos doesn't snap and we lose half of our milks. <laughs> our, our Russian powdered milk. No. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> oh my good gosh. All right. I yeah. like that. I, I like. I didn't know anything about most of those milks or that some of them even existed. <laughs> well, now okay. you know. All right, Hunter. I got a. I got a very different topic. Um, I guess we'll just start by playing the soundbite now. Yeah. You do not need to listen to this whole soundbite. Um, cause it's like a minute or so, uh, you might, you'll get your guess or you won't get your guess within the first few seconds. So, um, I'm just going to play it on this computer now to capture the audio you played on your own computer. Okay. Flickman. 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 What is this, Flickman. Flickman. Ach, zack. Yeah. Hey, yeah. That's wahr. Construir. It sounds like a recording of video game, like, villager dialogue from a so close. German game. You're so close. Could you guess the game? Oh, God. It's... <laughs> it's one of it's one of those like those freaking isometric um it's yeah, like an I, AOE. I stopped the I stopped RTS. The yeah i stopped it too it's like yeah. it's got to be like an rts that you it's play. aoe those are from aoe too 
Am I? Am I? Age a of God? Empires two. <laughs> yeah. So yes, those are voice recordings of the villagers from AOE two. Can you guess our topic today? Age of Empires two. Incorrect. We're talking about what? early gold mining in America. Come on, oh, man. Come on. <laughs> it's I kind of was hoping for Age of Empires too. Uh, maybe, maybe a future episode. Um, yeah. I was really trying to think of a sound effect, and I realized that you know, there's gold mines in that game, so in the villagers mine gold. So it's it's tangentially enough related that you could have easily guessed this. Oh, uh, you didn't. You didn't just have them spam the gold, please. Gold, please. <laughs> <laughs> oh. For those of you who do play Age of Empires, you'll be laughing. For those of you who don't, you might be confused right now. But we're going to move on. Um, <laughs> we are going to talk about the Reed Gold Mine in North Carolina and some surrounding details. Um, first off, I just want to say that I was getting real sketched out when I was reading all these different articles about the Reed Gold Mine. Uh, my, my, like, history, citing sources, uh, you know, Claxons uh, were going off saying something's not quite right and I did not get to the bottom of this because I went to maybe eight or ten different websites about the Reed gold mine and every single one has almost exactly word for word the Wikipedia story no citations for this story exist the only citation I found led me to a website that did not exist anymore <laughs> so I'm not going to say this is a true story. This could very well be an exaggerated yeah. history story, but we're going to say it hey, just because, yeah, it exists somewhere. We're adding to that citation list now. People I, can yeah, cite I, our I honestly think everyone is citing each other when they're writing this story because it's the same wording over like 10 different websites. That um, was the same thing for those dairy commandments I was trying to find. I couldn't yeah. find the source. Like, Yeah, I think people are just finding one and then just repeating it over and over. Anyway, the story goes... In 17... This is literally ripped from Wikipedia, so I'm just going to read this. Uh, yeah. In 1799, Conrad Reed, the son of farmer and former Hessian soldier John Reed, uh, found a 17-pound yellow rock in Little Meadow Creek on the family farm near Carabas County, North Carolina. For three years, the rock served as a bulky doorstep. In 1802, a jeweler from Fayetteville identified the rock as a large gold nugget. He told John Reed to name his price. Reed, not understanding the true value of gold, asked for what he thought was a hefty price of $3.50. Again, for a 17-pound nugget of gold, he asked for $3.50. <laughs> Even in today's money, that is $71 for 17 pounds of gold. <laughs> oh, my um, God. And the banker, just... yeah, the banker did buy it for that price, and the real value of the nugget was $3,600. Or about $73,000 in today's money. Wow. You know, that's so, actually not as much as I thought it was like. Like, I was expecting in the millions when you, you set up. Yeah, and I'm sure if you adjust, because this is only adjusting the price of the dollar, not the price of gold. Um, and gold has almost tripled in this time as well. So it would really be close to, you know, quarter million dollars or something for that. Wow. Um, yeah. Maybe even more. But he basically got duped at a, you know, he paid uh one thousandth of its value to this uh reed farmer anyway the story goes on and uh reed decides okay i was just duped and he opens a gold mine in uh in uh on his basically on his property farm um and he opens this gold mine um, and it's actually relatively successful they're doing all this pan mining 
for years and years and years, you know, like, you know, the old prospectors, old timey prospectors putting a pan in the creek and finding gold, small nuggets and gold dust and all that stuff. So they're finding gold. Oh, wow. Um, and this is in North Carolina. Again, this is like 1803. Um, so just, I didn't you know, even know there was gold in North Carolina. I don't think a lot of people do because later you'll see, we're going to get overshadowed by the California gold rush. Right. Ooh. Yeah. And that's going to okay. kind of troll all this to the wayside. Uh, but uh, the Reed Gold Mine, uh, at least according to the North uh, North Carolina Tourism Board or whatever, uh, was the nation's first gold mine. Um, our country's first gold mine. Wait, even uh, even before like anything done by early explorers. Or yeah, anything? I mean, because I mean, this is basically within twenty five years of the nation's founding, um, and most people still oh. hadn't gone west of the Appalachians. Um, wow. And this was one of the first big, um, you know, gold deposits that we'd found naturally. Um, mm-hmm. By the time of the Civil War, so within 60 years, um, some 16 gold mines had been set up in this county, in Mecklenburg County. Um, so it was becoming a, you know, a, you know, veritable gold, gold mine, <laughs> quite literally <laughs> gold mine. Um, but by, so by 1824, so within about 20 years of setting up his mine, um, Reed had produced about $100,000 worth of gold from his mines. Um, which is about two point two million dollars in today's money. So, oh, he, so he totally won up that guy that sold him the yeah. In the, in the long term, he by mining it, you know, he just was getting a lot of he was producing a lot of wealth. Um, and it it did say later that eventually John Reed did die in I think eighteen forty eight, and he died a, a very wealthy man from his gold mining. So good on wow. him. He did his life was yeah. ruined by one bad financial decision. Yeah, um, wow. So there's like just this whole mess of stuff that's going on that I'm just we're just gonna talk about this bit by bit. Um, we're gonna be jumping backwards and forwards in time as we go, just because there's some weird stuff that happens and again removes credibility from that like hokey story about a 17 pound door you know door rest door stuff. <laughs> okay. um, it just because it just gets weird and you'll see why. Yeah. Um, so the California Gold Rush in 1849 totally overshadowed uh, Mecklenburg County in North Carolina. Um, and everyone was going there because there's way more gold out there. Um, but some things did start to change. Like in the 1830s, they started doing actual underground mining for gold, not just panning in rivers. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so you'd think that they'd start making more money, right? Because they're they're going deeper. They're like the dwarves. They're digging deeper. <laughs> yeah. A lot of old timers walking around being like, back in my day, I just could reach down and grab a 17 pound nugget off the ground. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Right. But interestingly enough the mining was yielding less and less as they were digging. And so they, the profits were just tanking um, as time went on, just because maybe there wasn't that much gold here to begin with. Maybe it wasn't that deep underground, but really the underground mining was yielding very little uh, profit. So it was, it was a dying business in North Carolina. Um, even before the civil war, it was kind of this dying business. Okay. Uh, a big problem came about with minting this gold. How do you turn all these gold nuggets and gold dust that you're finding into money? Because um, you'd be spending a large amount of money sending gold up to Philadelphia where it could be minted by the federal government for it to be actual useful gold, right? Yeah. Um, and so these miners in North Carolina were kind of getting upset like, hey, why can't we have a federal mint down here, right? Um, and so they were getting kind of upset about this. They didn't want to be wasting their money sending gold up to Philadelphia. Well, German-born uh, metal worker Christopher Beckler comes on the scene, or it's, it's probably like Bachler or some, some very German pronunciation. Um, 
but he decides to open up his own minting business in Mecklenburg County. <laughs> and I, when I first read that, and I think your reaction too, and all of our listeners are like, okay, this sounds sketchy, right? Wait, how do you even do, like, isn't the mint? I don't know. I don't it? know the answer to this question. I've been trying to research how do you start your own mint. I don't know. <laughs> this guy just says, and I should mention, this is not official U.S. coins that he's minting, but he's <laughs> turning gold nuggets and gold dust into um, properly Troy-weighted gold bullion and gold coin. That's okay, that makes more doing. sense. Yeah. Not actual U.S. money. Okay. Um, but it, the, the equipment needed to you know, weigh out gold and properly mint it into a, an, an exact Troy weight was expensive. That's why they had to send stuff to Philadelphia. But this German guy who knew what he was doing came in, and from every source that I read on this guy, which is very few, apparently he was actually a very trustworthy, very honest businessman. Just oh, wow. was doing his job, which is actually, you know, kind of somewhat heartening. You need um, that for, like, a, I feel like someone weighing out your gold, too. Exactly. So apparently yeah. he was a very um, straightforward businessman, and from 1831... Um, that's when he started doing this for Mecklenburg County. And he was also producing some jewelry and stuff, um, this Beckler guy. Uh, but Beckler dies in 1842, and his company dies with him, basically, after a few more years. Uh, but luckily, uh, the U.S. Treasury decided to open a mint down there in 1837 so that these miners weren't having to send their gold all the way to Pennsylvania, uh, to mm -hmm. Philadelphia, to get it minted. So it finally did work out um, that they were... You know, had a local mint on their side. Uh, fun fact: uh, at in 1834, the U.S. Treasury Department was buying gold for the you know the gold standard, so they needed gold. Um, they were buying gold at twenty dollars and sixty-seven cents an ounce, which in today's money would be six hundred and sixteen dollars an ounce. Modern-day gold prices are about sixteen hundred dollars an ounce. Um, so <laughs> effectively, gold prices have tripled since the 1830s. Um, but yeah, so the U.S. Treasury Department wanted gold, so that's I think that was part of the incentive to put a mint down there to make sure that they were getting all this gold straight away from uh, from all these Mecklenburg mines. Yeah, um, okay. So the Reed mine, like I was saying, was starting to die out a little bit, right? Um, mm -hmm. They weren't getting enough profits, and everyone was going to California to mine. Um, but you can still go to the Reed mine. You can still go to a, a museum there today. Um, with displays about the history of North Carolina gold mining. Um, and you can actually explore, if you go there, probably after coronavirus, you can go explore several hundred feet of restored gold mine. Oh, so wow. you can actually go to an old-timey, old, early 1800s now, gold mine in North Carolina. This is early 1800s, so were there, was there slave labor, you mean, used in the mines? Oh, yeah. yeah. They, uh, I, well, okay. I, I assume in the mines there was. They do talk about um, John Reed owning at least one slave. Um, okay. So again, when you, whenever you look at early American history and there's white people involved, yeah. especially in the South, there's a really good chance that slavery is involved. Yeah, I, I more was just wanted to draw attention to you know the people that were actually doing the work for stuff like yeah. that. And to, I, yeah, and I you know I don't know the breakup. Um, yeah, I'm sure if you because the North Carolina websites, again, they were all very short articles. Most of them were quoting this Wikipedia page. Um, or it was quoting them. I don't That's know. That's so strange, yeah. It, it's just weird that there's, like, no sources on any of this stuff. It just is – and the further I dug, the less and less was coming <laughs> up. So it was just weird to find this. George, you found the Dolomite problem of history. Yeah, if anybody where... can answer if this story is true or not. <laughs> if you could find a primary source, everyone will be, like, in there, shock. There was one book quoted. I don't remember what the book was called. On one of the websites, there is a book 
But like the books mentioned would be like a history of mining in Georgia, not in North Carolina. So there were like oh, no man. North Carolina early American gold mining books that exist. I mean, I know such a broad topic. There'd be infinite books to write, but um, there's just nothing there. That's so um, wild. Anyway, 1860s, the Civil War comes around and uh, the Confederate soldiers raid that federal mint that was built in North Carolina. Um, and they try to mint their own gold, but like I was saying, the gold mines are drying up in North Carolina, and it's becoming a waste of time and money to even try and mint the little gold that they have. Um, so they turned it into a military hospital during the Civil War for the Confederates. How um, oh, lovely. <laughs> uh, yeah, beautiful, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. In the late, later 1800s, the building was used as a women's club, and during World War One, it was used as a Red Cross uh, station. Wow, okay. So it, it, this mint provided a number of purposes after its life as an actual mint. This is, um, this is the mint, not the mine. Yeah, the mine yeah. is a tourist thing now. The mint was going through this whole, what's it going to be in life, an existential crisis. Gotcha. Um, and it was going to be destroyed in the early 1900s to, uh, I think they were going to put a bigger post office in, so they had to destroy <laughs> this mint. I know it's like a random, like weird expansion, but yeah, I know. I you <laughs> you think it'd be something else or something more useful, but yeah, all, all those poor all those poor homes destroyed from post office expansions, <laughs> yeah. like uh, right. But anyway, the citizens of uh, the county uh, kind of united and bought the mint, uh, the grounds, so that they could turn it into a museum um, and not be demolished. Um, okay, and yeah, so now it is the Mint Museum of Art. It is the first art museum in the state of North Carolina. Um, there are other stuff unrelated to minting, I think, but a huge part of it is um, for gold coins minted in the Charlotte Mint as well as other minting-related uh, paraphernalia. Um, and it also has apparently a reference library with over 15,000 volumes um, related to minting and gold and all that so maybe there's a source somewhere in this library <laughs> for this story but i don't think there is because i would have seen it googling it perhaps the archives are incomplete <laughs> <laughs> only a jedi can delete the archives um <laughs> this Star place Wars better have a tray too. of this, this place better have a tray of mints on the front by the way <laughs> the amount of times you've said mints, you went for the pun uh, um apparently just um you know fun fact here apparently gold coins from the charlotte mint are like super rare and it's if you ever find one it's going to be extremely valuable worth more than its weight in gold um just because <laughs> of the the minting um where it was minted and when um okay so modern day yeah uh this county here's here's again once i started looking at the county why i'm thinking this story can't be true i just it, it can't be okay. um so uh charlotte north carolina where this mint is is in mecklenburg county uh, fun fact, supposedly the uh, county of Mecklenburg signed a Declaration of Independence on May 20th, 1775. This is unverified, <laughs> but if it is true, they would have been the first part of the 13 colonies to declare independence from Britain. Uh, so, again, but it's like it's like there's no consensus on this. So it's like, is this even true? Does um, Mecklenburg County even exist? Are they like, do they just it, declare <laughs> themselves a township one day, like with no paperwork? <laughs> no, I think, I think it is a real county. Yeah. I think that part is true. The reed mine exists, but other than that, I don't know. Um, steel is uh, mining. I guess steel is uh, this Nucor Steel Company, the biggest steel company in the U.S., is headquartered in uh, Mecklenburg County, as well as Bank of America. So two big companies oh, are located there. Yep. Wild. Okay, and then this is where, the, on the Wikipedia page, this is where 
I knew that this story couldn't be entirely true or something wasn't being reported correctly. Okay, yeah. So, from Mecklenburg County, there's a list of notable people, right? Yeah. Some notable people. The 11th oh, yeah. president of our country, James K. Polk. Um, okay. Many wait, other wait, and, poli- and just, just to clarify, how roughly how big is Mecklenburg County? Um, you know, I didn't actually even look. I think they said it was 100,000... Um, uh, it was either 100,000 or a million people, so somewhere in that. Not huge, either way. I didn't remember how many zeros Okay, there. yeah, wow, that is um, small. Um, so it's not not a huge county. Um, I think it's like sub a million for sure. Yeah. Um, so the 11th president, James K. Polk, was from there. Many other politicians, some governors of North Carolina from this county. Yeah. Um, but then they talk about really insignificant people, like a folk artist named Nellie Ashford is from there. Never heard of her. <laughs> um an ESPN NASCAR correspondent, Shannon Spake, is from Mecklenburg County, North Carolina. Never heard of her. <laughs> but you would think that the father of American gold mining, John Reed, if he was really as significant as I say, you'd think he'd be under notable people. Yeah. But he ain't. I guess he's not born there, but he lived there and he, you know, did stuff there. Wait, you and would... like... He's not even mentioned on the county Wikipedia page. Is he, does he even have a Wikipedia page? He he does. He he and the Reed Mine have a Wikipedia page, but it's like not on the Mecklenburg. I, I don't know. Some stuff isn't adding up. That's all <laughs> I'm saying. There might be a conspiracy, a money laundering thing. Another crazy conspiracy could be here, but it's not lining up. That that is that is wild. But and just, it's just the fact that if you, I encourage all the listeners to go. Look up the Reed Gold Mine, R E E D, the Reed Gold Mine. Any website you look at, it's going to have the same exact text for this story about John Reed's son finding this 17 pound yellow quote unquote rock in the family <laughs> creek. Like, I know, like, they just, it's just weird, okay? It's just weird. Did, wait, what happened to that 70 pound nugget? Is it just, uh, no, it, it was bought that... by the jeweler. I assume he cut it up for, yeah, ju- okay. be jewelering purposes. Um, they talk about later finding a 28-pound gold rock. Um, you'd think so, they'd, like, keep that, right? You, But apparently he doesn't even know the value of gold. So, <laughs> so I don't really know. So <laughs> I, really ba- I bet I could get $6. Yeah, like, honestly. So, I don't know. So that's a weird story that I found to, to, to tell you something about this week that is, is the Reed Gold Mine. I like that. That's a good topic. Good. Well, I'm so that's episode three basically in the books and like we said at the start of the episode every episode's exactly one half hour um this one is running at about 40 minutes but it's a half hour if anybody asks they're all a half hour on the nose (laughs) we always round down exactly (laughs) exactly half hour um we will be doing another episode on thursday where we may or may not fingers crossed have a guest joining us on thursday we're nailing out the details for that but all will remain uh hush hush until that time a lot of ndas to sign a lot of of lawyers the network's making us go through so many hoops on this one yeah gosh yeah hands behind our back folks yeah it's it's rough but uh uh, you know i'm glad everyone listened and please send in your uh your fan mail for for the fan mail section of the podcast (laughs) yeah please direct all fan mail to (laughs) (laughs) to wherever if you know us in real life send it to us if you don't eh, too bad (laughs) <laughs> i was um, gonna plug someone we we knew but then i realized that might be a bad idea <laughs> yeah no no plug in it we won't plug you unless you uh you want to be mentioned but specifically yeah um, we still have ad space though so yeah we're, we're taking advertisers so high <laughs> highest <laughs> offer wins 
Uh, whoever buys us the most six packs of beer or something. <laughs> um, anyway, it's going to be hard is, to split. Yeah, honestly. Uh, yeah. Uh, well, that is signing us off for episode three. So uh, thanks for sticking with us. Yeah. Have a great day, folks.